Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. You're listening to the Derek Izzy Show. Welcome back for another deep dive into history where we'll start swimming and come out afloat. This episode is about the president who married his stepdaughter. Wait, what? I've never heard of such a thing. Well, folks, that's exactly why you tune in to the Derek Izzy Show. Little known facts in U.S. history. Stephen was born back in 1837 in Caldwell, New Jersey. He was the fifth of nine children. His father was a Presbyterian minister. Now, growing up, the son of a minister, you can imagine that the family moved around quite a bit as the father transferred from church to church. But Stephen would develop a unique identity, an identity all of his own, living all over New Jersey and New York as his father went from church to church. But at the age of 16, Stephen's father died. Now, back then, when a parent died, the children would chip in. Stephen was still in school at age 16, but he decided to drop out and start working to help support his family. He got a job as a law clerk. He didn't really have any formal college education, but as a law clerk, he learned a lot about the law and how our legal system worked. This knowledge would greatly benefit him. In 1858, he decided to take the bar exam. And sure enough, he passed the bar exam. Stephen was now a lawyer. As he started to expand his social circles, being a lawyer now, he got a job working at the Rogers Bowen and Rogers firm. You might recognize that firm as President Millard Fillmore, 13th President of the United States, used to work for that law firm. He was there for three years until he decided to go off and start his own law practice. As he worked in his journey through the law, he was appointed assistant district attorney of Erie County. Now, this was back in 1863, and everyone knows what happened in 1863. It was the Civil War. Now, back in the times of the Civil War, there was a draft. It was called the Conscription Act of 1863. It basically said that anyone who was capable had to serve in the army. Or, yes, there was an or, or you could hire a substitute. Well, Stephen decided to hire a substitute. He paid him $150 to serve in the army in his place. $150 back then was worth about $3,200 today. This allowed him to continue 
in his work as a lawyer. He started to become successful. He was a man of good morals, a single man. As he started making money as a lawyer, he started making more and more. He used this money to support his family, his mom, his sisters. He was there financially to help support them. Success would not only be achieved in the legal profession, but he also got nominated to be the sheriff of Erie County, a role in which he was elected to and assumed. As a sheriff, he did okay. He found out that a lot of the sheriffs of the time were getting paid off. Bribery was a big deal back then. But he didn't really get involved in it. When his term ended as sheriff, he went back to being a lawyer. He opened a new law firm with two friends, and one of those friends got elected to Congress. Stevens started to see this as a possible career path. He started dating. There was a woman he had become quite fond of, and she was a widow, and then he was accused of raping her. His defense? He accused her of being an alcoholic, consorting with other men, and then he had her institutionalized as a mental patient. They had a child together. An illegitimate child back in the 1800s was a cardinal sin. That was something that you didn't do. It was against society's morals and values, and that really put a stain on your reputation. So on to, on to bigger things for the topic of our podcast. He decided to run for mayor. And in 1882... He took office and became the mayor of Buffalo, New York. His foray into politics would continue on. He started to expose local government corruption. He had a reputation for vetoing bills that he thought were wasteful. There was an example of a street cleaning contract where the city council took bids for street cleaners. Some of the lower street cleaners were in at $100,000, but the city council chose the highest bidder at four times the amount of the lowest bidder. This cronyism and favoritism was something that the topic of our podcast would stand against for his entire political career. Stephen fought against it as mayor of Buffalo and continued with that reputation of being frugal, and consistent. He was known as a man that you couldn't buy off because he had principles and he stood for them and pursued them very aggressively. After fulfilling his duties as a mayor of Buffalo, New York and cleaning up a lot of the corruption, Stephen set his sights on becoming the governor. Maybe it was luck, but somehow Stephen managed to get elected governor after starting the race as a big underdog. He continued as governor, being the king of vetoes, not allowing government waste to pass through his hands. He continued to make decisions based on being frugal and being moral. Throughout his tenure as governor, there were many examples of when he fought corruption in government. His reputation as a reformer would elevate him to the next level. And as a reminder, you know, we talk a lot about political corruption in today's news. This was back in the 1880s, and he was running as a reformer because of political corruption. Some things never change, and until we 
study history and really learn the mistakes of our past, it seems like we are truly doomed to repeat them. So Stephen decides to run for president. His strong reputation as a reformer went a long way. He was a Democrat. The Republicans found out about his illegitimate child, and they made that the issue that they would use to run against him. Being a single man running for president, he traveled all over the country, all along the campaign trail. He started garnering support from many different states, and his following continued to grow. One of the law partners that he used to work for, he was very close to to that family. He and the father figure of the family had worked together at the law firm. He knew the wife, and he knew their daughter. He was very close to that family, and they played a, a critical role in him running for office and doing well. During this presidential run, it would be very different, for he was elected president, but he was still single. What do you do with a president with no first lady? Well, his sister became the first lady. While his sister was the first lady, Stephen and his sister, they actually had a lot of parties at the White House, and Stephen would invite his former law partners and their families. Rumors came out that Stephen, President Stephen, was actually courting someone, and then tragedy would strike. A young woman with the first name of Frank, named after one of her uncles, as she grew up, she decided to adopt the name Francis as it was more feminine. She went to... Central High School in Buffalo, Medina High School in Medina, New York, and then she graduated from Wells College. Being a young lady, she probably wasn't prepared for the tragedy that was about to happen. And the odds are, most of us aren't prepared for tragedy. But you can bet on those odds. One of the sponsors of the Derek Izzy Show is betonline.ag. Now they will give you 50% matching funds on your initial deposit. You can bet on NFL, you can bet on UFC fights, you can bet on NASCAR, you can bet on soccer. You can even bet on politics and entertainment news. They have all kinds of crazy bets. You can bet on who's going to be elected as the MVP of the NFL this year. They take odds on all of that stuff. But the only way you get your 50% matching funds on your initial deposit is to click on the link on DerekIzzy.com. D-E-R-E-K-I-Z-Z-I dot com. Go there, click on the Bet Online banner, and sign up to get your 50% matching funds on your initial deposit. Only you can beat the odds. As I mentioned, tragedy had struck. Stephen's former law partner had died, leaving his wife a widow. Stephen was making news, and he had a romantic interest. Everyone thought, that the wife of his former partner was his romantic interest. Stephen announced plans for a wedding. At 48 years old, it looked like Stephen was about to marry the widow of his former partner, but that was not the case. Stephen announced his engagement and married their 21-year-old daughter, Frances. At 21 years old, Frances was now the youngest first lady in the history of the country. 
They were married in the White House, becoming the only president to get married in the White House, and becoming the only president to have a child in the White House. This newfound fame turned 21-year-old Frances into a celebrity. She enjoyed this newfound fame, and she took up some issues. She did her best to support her husband and his endeavors, but she had an identity of her own as well. The press kind of launched on to the First Lady's name and likeness. They started to use her name and her image on certain products. Advertisers locked on to what they called Frankie ads. Congress actually considered passing a bill that would ban advertisers from using the likeness of Francis. And then his term in the presidency would come to an end. And it would be time to run for re-election. 1888, Stephen runs for re-election. And he wins the popular vote, but is actually defeated by the Electoral College vote, thus ending his bid for re-election. One of my sources says that when Francis was exiting the White House, she was so confident that they'd be coming back to the White House. She told one of the servants, we're coming back just four years from today. And right she was, because in the election of 1892, her husband Stephen, he won re-election. This made him the only president to serve two terms that were not consecutive. Only president to this day to do that. Back in those days, the presidential office was held with quite a high esteem. And most presidents, they want to be the tough guy in front of all their constituents. Well, Stephen developed mouth cancer. Frances stepped up, and she did an excellent job keeping it out of the media. They were worried that if the media found out that he had cancer, the financial markets might crash and the public would lose confidence in their strong leader. The president went through surgery and came out okay. Some of the issues that they dealt with, I had spoke before on the podcast about them being the same issues we're dealing with today. We have protesters out in the streets in some cities right now. Back in 1894, the Army of the Commonwealth of Christ led a protest march. Roughly 400 people of the Army of the Commonwealth of Christ left the state of Ohio and marched toward Washington. The purpose of this was to demand that the government take action to alleviate the economic depression by providing unemployment and worthwhile jobs. The protesters were arrested for trespassing. We have a lot of racial tensions going on right now. Back in the 1880s, they did as well. And I'm not talking about a slavery issue. I'm talking about racial tensions on the West Coast between whites and Chinese laborers. Chinese laborers were all over the place. The government placed restrictions on immigrations from China. Eventually, the government put through a ban on Chinese laborers. This created a lot of tension. People started to riot. Some of the riots broke out in Rock Springs, Wyoming, a state not known for riots, definitely. Tacoma and Seattle, Washington. Yeah, they had riots back in the 1880s, and they still do today. Nothing has changed. Just a different group of people. So government negotiations took place, and in 1888, a 21-year ban on the immigration of Chinese laborers 
would happen. If Chinese immigrants returned back to China, they were not allowed to re-enter the United States. In addition to this, the United States paid compensation to China for the lives of the immigrants that were lost in the riots of 1885. Some of the memorable quotes of Stephen before he left office. One of them was, I suppose that right and justice should determine the path to be followed in treating this subject, referring to the 1895 Venezuela crisis. He says, if national honesty is to be disregarded and a desire for territorial expansion or dissatisfaction with a form of government, not our own, ought to regulate our conduct, I have entirely misapprehended the mission and character of our government and the behavior which the conscience of the people demands of their public servants. He was known as a man I talked about before, having very strong principles. He also had an excellent memory. He would often conduct his legal arguments and his speeches with no notes. He would just go off the cuff because he had everything in his head already. He even delivered his inaugural speech without any notes. I talked about him being frugal. One of the bills that Stephen, as president, vetoed was a bill to appropriate $10,000 to distribute seed grain among the farmers in Texas when they went through a horrible drought and were on the verge of bankruptcy. This was a bill that had passed Congress, made it to his desk, and he vetoed it based on principle. And he says, I can find no warrant for such an appropriation in the Constitution, and I do not believe that the power and duty of the government ought to be extended to the relief of individual suffering, which is in no manner properly related to the public service or benefit. A prevalent tendency to disregard the limited mission of this power and duty should, I think, be steadfastly resisted to the end that the lesson should be constantly enforced that the people support the government, the government should not support the people. The friendliness and charity of our countrymen can always be relied upon to relieve their fellow citizens in misfortune. This has been repeatedly and quite lately demonstrated. Federal aid in such cases encourages the expectation of paternal care on the part of the government and weakens the sturdiness of our national character while it prevents the indulgence among our people of that kindly sentiment and conduct which strengthens the bonds of common brotherhood. There you have it. Back in the late 1800s, the president talking about how when the government steps in to fix the problems of the people, the financial problems of the people, it creates a populace that will then start depending on the government. It makes the government your parent that you rely on. And here we are, 130 years later, and he was exactly right. Back then, one of the bills that came across his desk was a bill to increase the income tax to 2%. Can anyone imagine that? There was a lot of outrage with an income tax of 2%. That was way too high. And look where we are today. Tax rates between 12 and 39%. 2% outraged the people back then. A lot of change has happened for the better, but a lot of change has happened for the worse. Well, I'll get off my political soapbox 
as I bring this podcast to an end, covering the two terms of President Stephen, allegedly called Big Steve, as he was over 250 pounds growing up. Big Steve decided not to use his first name, so you might know him as President Grover Cleveland, because now you know the rest of the story. Thank you for listening to the Derek Izzy Show. We should be back on Facebook for this episode, so like us, share us, write a review on iTunes. It takes 30 seconds. Write some positive comments, five-star review, and don't forget, click on the link on DerekIzzy.com. Start betting with Bet Online, but you got to use that link on DerekIzzy.com to get your 50% match on your initial deposit. Until then, next month we will be talking about a haunted house. Interesting. Until then, good day.